everyone. I'm Celeste Headley, and you're listening to That's a Good Question. It's part of the Women Amplified podcast from the Conferences for Women. Navigating workplace dynamics and the generational divide can be really challenging. Today's listener leads a nonprofit staffed predominantly by younger workers, and they tend to really prioritize self-care and well-being. So our guest finds herself caught between a rock and a hard place as she tries to reconcile the needs and wants of her staff with the bottom line goals of the organization. In this episode, we'll offer practical strategies and real world advice to help her foster a strong work ethic among her team, one that provides them with the skills to cope and better handle stress, plus manage multiple priorities, all while allowing them to stay true to their needs without sacrificing what's right for the organization. Helping me problem solve today, I'm so excited to be joined by our guest expert, Rebecca Stone. Rebecca is the Senior Vice President of Customer Solutions Marketing and the Chief Marketing Officer of Cisco Meraki. Rebecca is also a board member of the California Conference for Women, which will take place at the Santa Clara Convention Center this coming February 29th. Now, let's get started. So, Jessica, you have brought with us a question that we are actually getting from a lot of different people. So I'm so glad that you were here with this particular question. What is going on? So I'm executive director of a nonprofit with a multi-generational staff. So a significant portion of my current staff represents younger generations, so I would say under 40. Our workplace dynamics have become challenging specifically with our younger employees who, some of whom are not really well-equipped with coping and resiliency skills. Others, I would say, are actually overly equipped and have a deep desire to make organizational changes that prioritize personal identity and values. There's a gap in everybody's ability to manage multiple projects simultaneously, and that creates stress in busy times. This generation is great at setting acceptable boundaries and prioritizing their emotional well-being, which sets limits to some extent for the organizational to reach existing goals and growth options. I come from a generation where hard work and long hours were par for the course, and I have been very careful to not place the same expectations on my staff and I'm cognizant of needs and bandwidth, especially after COVID. We've tried very hard to improve our organization through improved compensation, benefits, and increase in PTO. And we are an organization that is highly focused on social justice, inclusion, equity, and access. However, even with those initiatives, we've seen significant turnover and burnout with staff. And that impacts our ability, again, for growth and opportunity within the organization. So I find myself trying to balance keeping staff happy while maintaining the solvency of the organization as a whole and keeping the workflow happening. So I think the question is, how do we reconcile the needs of staff with the needs of the business for visions of growth? So if you don't mind my asking, what generation 
are you a member of? So I'm in my early 50s. So you and I are both Gen X. We are Gen X. And I ask that because I want to be clear on what's causing the issues in your workplace. And by that, I mean the tensions that are caused by what people are vocalizing versus the reality of what's happening. And I say that because the perception among our generation, Gen X, is that Gen Z works shorter hours, but research shows they work more overtime, unpaid overtime than any other generation. And millennials actually work more hours than the other generations that are the working public right now. So tell me what's causing some of the tension that you're describing here. What's causing the workplace stress? I think some of it is a separation between professional and personal lives. And my generation, I would say that sometimes those lines are easily blurred and work might happen at a cadence that isn't necessarily nine to five. Most of the positions that we're talking about are all salaried roles. So there isn't really an option for overtime. The expectation is that work that needs to be completed will be completed, whether it's within nine to five hours or whatever it might be. You know, somebody might need to take two hours in the middle of the day to go to the dentist or a doctor's appointment, and all that is certainly expected and understandable. I think the hiccup comes when various employees, maybe they're not connecting on time. They don't maybe have the same schedules. We have employees who work different schedules. So some of my employees are 9 to 5. Some might be 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. And that can create difficulty in communication between different staff members. So if somebody is working a 9 to 5 schedule or they're asked to put in extra hours for an event or some sort of forward-facing program, that's where they start to feel that maybe their personal time is being usurped. And that's where I'm seeing some pushback. So a lot of it comes from projects or programs that maybe happen outside of the regular cadence of a nine-to-five job. And I should say with these roles, there is an expectation of forward-facing activities after the normal workday. So those are cultivation events, specifically for fundraising purposes. And those don't happen, you know, those have to generally happen in evening hours or weekend hours. Okay, but if I'm doing a weekend event, let's say that you had a weekend, a Saturday evening event, and I have to be there from 6 to 10. Mm -hmm. So then I take those four hours somewhere else, right? Absolutely. Okay, yeah. All right. Yes. To the extent that you can, though I will say there are times, you know, what we try to do is look at our annual calendar and say, okay, here are the times where we know we're going to be extremely busy. And it might be that in this week, you might have extra hours outside of your normal schedule. The cadence will lessen. And certainly in the next month, you won't have that glut of events. But it isn't always going to be, if you work four hours this week, you can take an additional four hours at the beginning of the next week. You know, it isn't always a chit that you can exchange 
on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis. There's a definite flow to the workload. And I think that does cause some of the stress because in that period when we're extremely busy, it feels perhaps like it's never going to end. And it creates this, I think that's where a lot of it comes from. You know, it creates this feeling of being very overwhelmed without the sense of a break coming. Okay. Well, this is a great point to bring in our experts. So let's bring Rebecca Stone into the conversation. Rebecca is the Senior Vice President of Customer Solutions Marketing at Cisco. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I imagine that none of this is a big surprise to you. (laughs) No, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. So what advice do you have for Jessica here on how to approach this situation? She is working in a nonprofit. And sometimes, as I'm sure you know, nonprofits, many of the people who come to nonprofits, oftentimes you are dealing with younger people, but they're also very mission-driven. What do you think? Yeah, I guess just to make sure that you all have some context about where I'm coming from, I run a team of about 400 people. It's a global team all over the world. And Definitely a diverse, you know, I would say probably baby boomer all the way down to Gen Z in terms of age of people that are in my team. So I definitely understand the disparity and the difference in terms of way that people are working. I guess what I would ask Jessica is you're talking about some of these events and if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe just a very high level, how many of your employees are typically being asked to attend these events? It depends on the scale and scope of the event. So we have one annual event that is taxing for everybody. And of my 13 employees, probably 10 were asked to work that day or in the days leading up to it. The other events are much smaller. And I would say it's the core staff in our development office who are asked to work those events. And that's really two people, plus myself as executive director. Also clarify that a little bit of the hiccup here is that some of my older or you know staff members who are more my generation, we don't work in the same way. So it's really a lot of this is about communication and overlap and the expectation that work is or is not getting done within a time frame that one might expect. Okay. I want to make sure that it's not a blanket statement about just in general, a generational issue, because there are plenty of Gen Z and millennials. I am in fact a millennial. I am over 40, but on the tail end of the early millennial generation. So I definitely identify both with Gen X and with millennials. I see lots of millennials and lots of Gen Zers who are more than willing to put in a ton of hours as I run marketing. So there's tons of events that we're doing globally and people who are having to support global events from from one region or another. And so what I'm trying to ask is to really delve into the causes maybe, because I do see that there are generational differences in that communication to your point, but typically they can be overcome when you really dive into what is the cause. Like if there are two people that are being asked to do events are they the only two over and over and over again? Or are other people being asked to support them so that there can be a little bit more flexibility and shared responsibility in those roles? 
you know, I'm trying to dig in. I, I don't want to assume. So I'm trying to maybe dig into a little bit more of the details about in these particular instances for these events where you feel like the work's not getting done on time or they're not willing to put in the hours to complete the work, the why behind it to really help to diagnose how we can start to to work on a solution. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And I certainly agree with you. In a way, this is about how people set boundaries between their personal time and their professional time. And I think what I've seen is people bring their identity and values to the job, and that has become very important. So there is a big focus on making sure that the organizational culture reflects not only our mission as an organization, but the values that the staff hold. And I am completely supportive of that. Some of that is making sure that people feel they have enough opportunity for self-care and self-preservation. When that boundary starts to get crossed between what people feel keeps them well and what causes stress, that's when we're seeing sort of this schism between what some people have defined, you know, actually as a toxic workplace. Yeah. And that's what makes me nervous as a leader because I have been trying to create multiple ways to make these positions feel sustainable. And we're at a breaking point with the organization in terms of trying to accommodate everyone's feelings while also trying to complete the work. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, the events are just one example of that. It's more that I would say culturally people feel much more empowered to have decision-making authority within their roles. And then it's almost like people can kind of pick and choose the items with their description that they choose to do. Yeah. Have you had that conversation with some of the people that you are, or or even written down sort of what are the ethos that we believe in as an organization that we're working towards? Yes, we believe in cultural sensitivity or time for mental health breaks. And we also are on this mission to complete X, Y, and Z. And therefore, in order to deliver to our customers or partners or whomever we're serving, we also need to think about how we accomplish this goal together. Has that been documented anywhere? Great question. And indeed it has. What we actually started last year, we hired a consultant to help us build a culture of care within our organization with the goal of modeling what we were doing internally to reflect that out to our clients. And it's been a really interesting exercise. As part of that, actually, in a meeting we recently had, we've been talking about the agreements that we have put together as a staff that make everybody feel seen, heard, and valued. So in fact, we've worked very hard on that. And what we've done with our weekly staff meetings is really set out a set of agreements that the entire staff reflects their interest and values. And we're still kind of putting those together. But clearly, inclusion and equity are at the basis of what we're talking about. 
where we have agreements to acknowledge that not everybody is going to come to meetings and engagements with the same background and experience in life. And that will require everybody to be mindful and patient in conversations. We have agreements to make sure that we let somebody speak a full thought, even if it's sort of in draft phase before being interrupted. We understand that silence and listening can be a way to encourage those within our staff to have a little more authority. We talked about intent versus impact. I mean, the list goes on. So yes, we've been working very actively on making sure that there's a common understanding that will make everybody feel valued in this organization. So I think that's hugely commendable if we all respect each other enough to show up in these ways. What are the things that we are expecting collectively as a group that we accomplish as a result of that? Is that been documented as well? So, you know, we're just starting this process. The agreements, we actually have just been working on them this week. So I would say that's a work in progress. But part of the reason we decided to create these agreements was sort of coming out of a period of unrest and concern that brought us to this point. So we're definitely in a problem-solving phase. You know, and my goal is to be as proactive as possible to keep people engaged and as employees of this organization. So I think I would have to answer that question in, you know, the next three months or so if we circle back. You're listening to That's a Good Question. It's part of the Women Amplified podcast from the Conferences for Women. If you want to hear more from experts and leaders who can help you succeed and who doesn't, of course you do, sign up for the conference in your inbox. It's a once-monthly newsletter highlighting the best advice from our Conferences for Women speakers year-round. Visit conferencesforwomen.org slash subscribe to sign up. That's conferencesforwomen.org slash subscribe. Now, let's get back to our conversation with our guest expert, Rebecca Stone, Senior Vice President of Customer Solutions Marketing and the Chief Marketing Officer of Cisco Meraki. How were you made aware of the unrest and concern? How did this first start to bubble up? It's interesting because it's actually, we had a tremendous amount of turnover in the past year, but we had a similar cadence of events that we had held. And after one of my staff members who had joined sort of in the interim, they were there for the first event and also the second made me aware of the fact that some people had left the job because they felt that the stress made it, you know, it just made it unpleasant. So I had to think about the the missteps that maybe we had taken as an organization. And that's when we hired this consultant last year. So fast forward 12 months with almost a whole new staff, and we had some of the same hiccups. You know, so then the question was, where is the organizational responsibility in this? And what are the shifts that we need to be making organizationally? We, of course, are run by a board of directors. And I would say there is 
not always consensus between what the board sees and the staff sees. So that's been interesting too. And I think a lot of it is going back to this idea. I mean, we are very mission-driven people. If you're involved in a nonprofit, you are generally there, especially as board members or senior staff, because you're very focused on a mission. I have seen that some of the younger employees, they might have deep passions outside of this job. And sometimes the time and effort that we're asking them to put in to these positions impacts what might be more important to them than the day-to-day job. So there is definitely a schism between board members, senior management, and then some of our, you know, coordinator level positions. I mean, I got to say myself, having worked for 25 years in public radio, there's a warning sign that perhaps people have too much work for the jobs that they're in. And that would cause a schism between the board and the people who are in their jobs because the board wouldn't necessarily be aware of that. And I know this from public radio because that's often the case in public radio. And that would cause the problems no matter how much turnover you had. Have you checked that this is not the cause of the problem? Yes. In the past two years, we've actually added five staff positions. <laughs> so yes. And you know, it is, it's a little chicken and egg because the only way to add the staff positions is to excel in you know, our revenue is generated by tuition-based programs as well as donation or contributed revenue. We need to grow those revenue sources in order to adequately hire and also pay compensation packages that make people want to stay. We've managed to, even within COVID, grow that. So That's been a huge focus for me as a leader to make sure that we are trying to create job descriptions that are sustainable and, when possible, add staff to ensure that we're growing in an appropriate way. So I've tried to be very careful about that. So much of this is value-based, I think, and then very much emotional, like what people bring to the job and where they feel their boundaries are. And I think some people are better at setting boundaries than others. And in a way, that's where the conflict or the misunderstanding occurs when somebody feels like they're being asked to do too much and it impacts their personal well-being. And people have different barometers of that. Rebecca, that brings us back to you again, because It's really common, especially in recent years, and in recent years, I mean in the past five years, for members of Gen X and the boomer generation to feel as though millennials and Gen Z have less tolerance for the longer hours, that they're less willing to encroach on their personal lives. So how does one handle that? There's two things. One, we can hold the value of hard work. And I am definitely one who works long hours, (laughs) lots of overtime. So I can respect that. 
But I also see the value as a mom of two kids who are younger and who require a lot of a lot of my time as well of holding the boundary against that. And I think that that is one of the things that I have heard in my conversations is a lot of younger millennials and and Gen Zers don't have families yet, and it's sort of accepted practice for those with families to be allowed to lead because they have a need, and that's been true ever since I was a single person with no kids. And I felt that. So I think that there is a moment where we have to adapt to the reality of maybe I can't get accomplished as much as I could with the people that I have. And it might take a little bit longer. And so maybe we have to start planning earlier for events because it takes longer to get where you need to get to. I think the second thing that I might think about, though, is I really do like the direction you were going down, Celeste, of how do we communicate the needs of of the role in a way that feels empowering to the people who are in them so that they don't, you know, even if they do feel burned out in certain times, like we are acknowledging that and accommodating for that and making sure that the roles are scoped in a way that are an appropriate amount of work for the younger generation that we're bringing in. Could it be a skill set thing? And I'm just trying to think through all of the different things. You know, maybe somebody who's older knows how to do a job so it's more efficient, so it requires less time than somebody who feels like they're doing it for the first time. Is there a way to do more documentation or more pairing of someone who's done the role? I'm just trying to think through and spitball kind of ideas that you might not have tried. So I think that a lot of this is a choice people are making. I think mentorship is a terrific idea, actually. But I think a lot of this goes back to the setting of boundaries. So it's not that people are unable. It's that there's a point where the clock is just stopped and we've gone too far. You know, there's only so much we can ask of people in terms of giving their time and talents. And I think a lot of it also is how people work. And Rebecca, I mean, my kids are now much older, but I think that, and this is a huge generalization, so just hear me out. Many of my board members are also parents, and we all tend to work at a similar cadence, which is the work is not really nine to five. It's all day whenever you have a moment in between the other things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. That works for a lot of people. That certainly works for the majority of professional men and women I know. That doesn't seem to work for a younger generation. So the boundaries that they're setting are really related to the time and place how they want to be communicated with, whether that's not using cell phones or personal communication for work. And so there's sometimes we see boundary issues where some people on a more senior level might prefer to text. And then it's, you know, and it encroaches on a staff person's personal time to suddenly be getting text messages from a more senior person. 
So those are some of the boundaries that I've had to try to set within the communication because that might work for tenths mm-hmm. of my employees and staff, but it doesn't mm-hmm. work for the other mm-hmm. 40%. So it's really people being vocal about setting their boundaries about what is acceptable for them in terms of day-to-day work and then managing the growth of an organization within that. Are they getting text messages outside of work hours from managers? That's a good question. So uh, the text messages really are not, and these are senior roles and definitely related to some of the larger events that we were talking about. Still, are they getting those text messages outside of work hours? Right, right. Well, I mean, (laughs) on a day that we're hosting an event, so that might be a Saturday, yes, on that day, definitely. In the normal cadence of work, no. Okay, and are they pushing back? Like, I mean, if they have to attend an event on a Saturday, are they really saying, oh, I don't want a text message while I'm running this event and being communicated with? No, no. Everybody was fine with that. It's the blurring of lines later. So once somebody has somebody's cell phone and they're sending text messages, it's pretty hard to then stop that practice. So that's what I've been trying to do when I recognize that boundaries have been crossed that make people uncomfortable. I've retroactively gone back and tried to reset some of these communication strategies, and also try to create more distance between, you know, maybe board members and staff members so that there is less of a crossing of a line between professional and personal. Yeah, I mean, that's good. You need to have their back because they shouldn't be getting text messages from managers, yeah, when they're not working. I'm curious, are there tools like a chat tool, like a a Slack or a WebEx or Microsoft Teams or or something where those messages might be able to happen, but then it's more asynchronous so that somebody doesn't feel obligated to check it until they're back at their desk or something? Do those tools exist? That's a great idea. We have evaluated Slack and we've never executed on it, but that's an excellent idea. Yeah, that is a good idea. Yeah, I think that would be, especially for like, I do think that what I've seen is millennials and Gen Z tend to prefer written communication over phone calls and things, but they do want them to be in a way that is is asynchronous more because then they don't feel obligated. Like a text message, they might feel obligated. But if it's Slack, if it's a work tool then it's easier to separate. And you can also, in Slack or whatever tool you're using, I don't want to just use Slack WebEx too, you can schedule messages. So they might go out during work hours, but if you are working at an off time that fits in your schedule, it will go out when you're ready for it to go out, but it doesn't get received by the other person until a quote-unquote regular workday. And that allows for that that respect of boundaries, but also allows you to do the work when it best fits in your schedule as well. Yeah, that's a great idea. I think that some of what happens with the communication too is people have a hard time understanding or prioritizing tasks and what seems urgent when things come 
in in that communication. Slack is a great idea. Thank you. Yeah. And the other thing to remember is that we're in a global burnout crisis. <laughs> so it's possible that the millennials and Gen Z are sort of bringing the pendulum back to a healthier place. It's possible that they're going to teach us healthier habits and save us from ourselves. And I say this as a member of Gen X that we didn't learn healthy habits from our parents and grandparents. <laughs> yeah. You know, the WHO has said that working more than 50 hours a week isn't correlated with early death. It causes it. So there's a sense in which we can thank the younger generations for pushing us to, to reform and get better at creating this stronger line between our work lives and our private lives. I think that's a great perspective and thank you for mentioning it. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. So, yeah. So I think it's about the balance and managing, I guess, the organizational expectations. Yeah. And, you know, also reminding the board (laughs) that they have something to learn. They have something to learn from the younger generations as well. You know, the younger generations are more likely to be healthy about that relationship, the balance between work and personal identity. They're more likely to be passion-driven, but they also work really hard. As I mentioned, they work more unpaid hours than the other generations do. And they're not afraid to work hard and put in the hours, but we do have to respect their boundaries. Just that little nudge to the board. I know that you know this because you're already working on it, but maybe the board needs a couple reminders. <laughs> you know, I think we all do. So yeah, I think that our goal is to model a healthy life-work balance. And I think you're right. It certainly gives us, I mean, we've been remodeling our values based on what we've been learning from these staff members. So. It is a new direction. And the World Health Organization says a healthier one. I mean, we we can be grateful. (laughs) So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Rebecca, any other words of wisdom? Yeah. I think that everything that you just covered, Celeste, it was really great because I agree that we can learn (laughs) some healthier habits and, and respect some healthier habits. I also think it is fair. And it sounds like you are working on this, Jessica, to be able to be clear about what the expectations of work and the expectations of what we get as a team and what we expect in return for giving all of these things to our employees are. I think that would be the only thing that I would add. I watched and follow Brene Brown quite a bit, and she talks about the fact that you need to learn to respect your employees' wishes, but then you also, it's not a one-way relationship, right? It is a two-way relationship. And in return for that, here are my clear expectations for how this job gets accomplished and how you show up in this job and what I need from you as a result of you working here. And being clear and communicating that in a respectful way, but also ensuring that your employees show up in that way is equally important. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Well said. Super important. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that our consultant who we've been working with has also referenced Brene Brown several times. So yeah, I mean, like you can go watch it on YouTube. It's free. Really, Brene Brown and quite a few others. Pat Lencioni, who writes the 
the five dysfunctions of a team, those two are, are two that I really try and model my organization against because I think both of those really allow you to be respectful, but also ensure that you are getting the work done in a way that is successful. So fabulous. Yeah. And never forget that once we become managers, research shows that we really quickly forget what it was like to not be a manager. And so we have to rely on the members of our teams to tell us what that's like. And we tend to get blind spots. So trust your team. Yes. You hired them for a reason. Yes. The fact that you're asking these questions means that you're ready to learn. And I think that's great. Thank you. Thanks for bringing the question. Honestly, as I said at the beginning, this is a really common question. And I'm so glad that you are here, you know, ready to figure it out and ready to work through it. Turnover is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. But no, no. I mean, in seriousness, we really have tried to develop a, a culture of care. So this really is part of it and really listening and understanding and creating an environment where people feel valued, respected, you know, and excited to come and do a mission driven job. Thank you so much. And thanks to you, Rebecca, for bringing your advice and suggestions here as well. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. I was happy to be here. Thanks for having me. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of That's a Good Question. Thanks again to our guest expert and board member of the California Conference for Women, Rebecca Stone from Cisco. Speaking of the California Conference, we're gearing up to make our first big speaker announcement for the February event really soon. If you want to be the first to know about this and the other speakers, go to caconferenceforwomen.org and sign up for our email list. The Conferences for Women is the largest network of women's conferences in the nation. They draw more than 55,000 women and men to annual events in Boston, Philadelphia, Austin, California, and online. I'm Celeste Headley, and this is Women Amplified from the Conferences for Women. Thank you so much for listening. Be kind and be well.